Hi, folks. It's Jeff, and welcome to The Daily Evolver on Wednesday, October 11th, 2017. And today, I wanted to take a look at a story that has really caught the country's attention in the last week, and which really exemplifies an evolutionary move in our culture that I think is worth noting. And this is the sudden and complete ignominious fall of Harvey Weinstein, the famed Hollywood producer for sexual harassment, uh, and being accused by now, it seems, countless women. And again, from an evolutionary perspective, I think this represents the cracking of some of the, I was going to say the last vestiges of the patriarchy. I'm not sure it's the last vestiges, but it may be the middle of the end of the patriarchy. And let me explain what I mean. Uh, and, and to do that, I want to use evolutionary theory because I really feel like it helps us to feel into what's going on here. And as integralists, we want to do that. We want to have a subtle body realization of our world and our life and our culture. So here's a stab at that. So evolutionarily speaking, the, the, the sort of the dynamics between the sexes, and this started with Darwin's observations, is a, a, a balance in ideal circumstances between male aggression and female choice. And evolutionary biologists point out that a, a population is healthiest when those are both in force. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the male aggression sometimes uh, exceeds the female choice. And, and this is seen at every level of life, from primates, mammals, birds, fish, even insects. You see the male harassing and intimidating uh, at every level of life. Uh, but uh, again, when it's in balance, it's, it's healthy. Uh, and you can also see where female choice is very powerful. I, mean, I think the classic example is the peacock, where you know males have to jump through all kinds of hoops to get that female peacock going. You know, and he's got to walk around with these. It would seem uh, evolutionarily uh, non-adaptive tail feathers, uh, just so he can get a little from time to time. <laughs> So anyway, so this balance between these two things and, and Darwin uh, said that they were both equally important and it's been pointed out by Ken Wilbur and others, David Boyce is writing a book on it, that uh, in modern times, the male aggression in terms of our understanding of Darwin and how we see Darwin uh, has gotten all out of proportion, that female choice is very much a essential part of this uh, engine, this dynamic of evolution. So at, at any rate, uh, in the human realm, this all continues, and we can feel that, you know, we can feel that animal mind, that mind that lives in the body, that hot sexual intelligence that animals feel too. You know, you realize this is one of the things I talked about last week where I was so praising this National Geographic book magazine that is on uh, animal intelligence and how the author had an integral sensibility in that he not only showed how animals 
uh, could do things that we thought were exclusively human, but that humans also have an animal mind. And that's that strata that we want to be in touch with. And so in, uh, as we walk up the evolutionary spiral, we start at the archaic where we're, you know, basically living in instinct and small bands and tribes. And, you know, as we move into self-consciousness and out of an animal identity that's merged with nature, we're probably part chimp and part bonobo. You know, I think uh, when we have that repertoire that includes both hard and fast and slow and languorous, you know, we're uh, in, in, in good territory. And that's been true through history. And so, you know, when we move into the tribal stage, the magenta stage of development out of archaic and, you know, things get a little more controlled. And, and, um, and I've been reading a good bit of the history of the Comanches, a particularly interesting tribe in, in America, Native Americans. And, you know, they, <clears throat> they, they pair bonded, they had wives. Uh, fidelity was not particularly prized. Uh, second and third wives would come and go. Uh, there was more of a tribal identity than a sense of direct lineage. People didn't worry so much about the genetics of their parents and their, who was their uncle. And the family lineage was very much secondary to the tribal identity. Now, of course, there was rape of captives, particularly rape and murder of captives, stealing wives, that sort of thing. But um, that was, you know, just sort of a, 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 an arising into a self-consciousness that really comes to fruition in the next stage of development, which is the red warrior stage, which is uh, egocentric, individualistic. We start caring a lot more about our lineage, who our parents are. We sort of see how that matters. That becomes clear. Uh, society complexifies. And basically what that means is one tribe conquered another and, you know, dominated them, uh, strata formed in these cultures around brute strength. And this was the way forward. This was the way forward into greater complexity and competence for the human race in general. Thus the saying that evolution is beautiful, but not pretty. Because in this red warrior um, society, Male dominance did overwhelm female choice because, again, brute strength is the currency of this stage of development. And this is really the beginning of what we see as the patriarchy. Um, men dominate, women submit, um, women are protected. And it's, uh, I think, important to point out that women participated in this. This was not experienced by the women as oppression. This uh, was uh, seen by women as how our family, our clan, our, our, our tribe was going to be respected. And, uh, you know, men were such stallions. There was not a, a great deal of self-control prized, you know, for men. And so women literally were happy to be hidden, to be escorted, that sort of thing. And then as you get into later red, where there's sort of a sophisticated red, like uh, ancient Rome, uh, where the culture's still red, you know, traditional values haven't come, family values have not come online yet. Uh, but uh, there was more female choice. And you could see, you know, just the flourishing of debauchery 
that is so fascinating. I remember going to see the, the um, exhibit on Pompeii when it came to the Denver Museum, and they had all of these friezes, these uh, mosaics uh, that they got from Pompeii, and they were basically all pornographic. You know, they were, uh, you know, twosomes, threesomes, they were gay, they were straight. It was, uh, you know, they were having a grand old time. And that went on until the next human awakening that, you know, comes out of nowhere somehow. And this is the arising of traditionalism. And of course, that is exemplified by Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with Charlton Heston coming down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And if you remember in the movie, he walks down and he looks over the landscape and there are all these people and these women in these kind of 1950s brassieres and, and, and bathing suits and they're all gold and they're worshiping the golden calf and they're, you know, debauchery everywhere except everybody's fully clothed uh, in the movie. But, you know, he shouts to them that he is here to liberate them. You know, I bring you freedom. And that's interesting because he did. He brought them freedom from debauchery, which, um, you know, uh, those of us who are listening to this who may have engaged in some of that ourselves realize is exhausting and kind of, uh, you know, drains your energy. And so there's this new um, arising of, you know, you can't go and steal your neighbor's wife. That's the Ten Commandments. You can't take her da his daughter. You can't take his servant. You can't rape women. Uh, and why? Not because I'll kick your ass. Not because it victimizes women. But because God said so. It's interesting. You know, it's a consciousness raising. Every stage of development is a consciousness raising that when we look back, we think, where did that come from? But across the planet, uh, in this axial age between two and 3,000 years ago and, and Moses 4,000 or whenever it was, no, no, I'm, I'm wrong there. But at any rate, human beings developed a conscience. And that is, uh, you know, just a fascinating thing to just note. But of course, evolution includes and transcends uh, the, the previous stage, so it includes it. So the patriarchy continued. It was more civilized, if you will, but still men dominated women. And, you know, it, it, that was the deal that both men and women for the most part took. Uh, you'd still have the big guys who would have harems, uh, many wives, um, free reign to, you know, uh, 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 have many women uh, that continues to this day with uh, the Miss Universe pageant and our a great producer of the Miss Universe pageant, Donald Trump. Uh, but at any rate, it's uh, still a lot of rape, a lot of incest. Women are not treated well behind the scenes. Uh, and uh, it takes modern society to, to civilize that further. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to notice, note that this domination submission thing is the stuff of great art. It's very juicy. 
Uh, I was reading, uh, I was trying to remember to see if I could find it, but I can't exactly remember. I think it was an opera singer, a female opera singer, who was talking about how she had mixed feelings about playing this role in opera. And, and it's one of many that have this sort of same theme, where it's the virginal woman who is, you know, by any modern or postmodern view, harassed mercilessly by the leading man until she finally submits after, you know, uh, harassment and, and, and force. And then she sort of is in love with him and it all comes together. And this is a big part of the myth that arises in traditionalism and still very much a part of literature and so forth. I mean, the modern version of it is a romantic comedy where they sort of fight and hate each other until somebody gets harassed into submission because they secretly love each other. And is it that, that we know that was true all along? So, so then, that, with a good segue into modernity, which, you know, we often talk about how World War II sort of brought in the dawning of post-modernity, you know, sensitivity and so forth. But it also brought on a great mass evolution into modernity for, for traditionalists. It's, it's the old, how are you going to keep them down in the farm after they've seen Perry? And, 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 and I lived through that. A lot of uh, us can see that. I, I, I could see that in my family, a very traditional family, uh, you know, religious, conservative. Uh, but I remember when I was, I think maybe seven, eight years old, all my aunts and uncles got together and bought my grandfather, their father, a subscription to Playboy magazine. And they renewed it every year. So he always had Playboy magazines. And I remember everybody thought that was funny. And, and, and I was actually scandalized by it. You know, I was uh, embarrassed for them. Uh, but I'll tell you, when I had a chance to get me my hands on one of those Playboys myself, oh, I remember how absolutely thrilling it was. And I couldn't believe that this was this adult world. And, and, and you know how kids are with that. And uh, that was a big deal for me. Uh, but Hugh Hefner, of course, gets credit, and rightly so, for ushering in a sexual revolution that women benefited from, too. In, in the sense that women were now allowed to enjoy sex. They could be seen voluntarily. They could uh, revel in their own sexuality. Uh, we have birth control. We had abortion. We now have recreational sex. And, you know, we were ready. Now, that patriarchy continues in that the women dress up um, in their little bunny outfits, and they're really seen as objects. And we'll get into a greater awareness of that in a second. But I, I, I want to take a, a minute to share one of <laughs> a column that really uh, made an impact on me. It was when Hugh Hefner died, of course, two weeks ago, I guess. And, um, and Ross Douthat, who is the conservative columnist for the New York Times, and I, who I think actually has a lot of integral sensibilities, wrote a column about um, Hugh Hefner. And he's coming from the conservative point of view that really doesn't think that the sexual revolution was such a great idea at all. And the, 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 uh, uh, 
column is titled Speaking Ill of Hugh Hefner. And here's just a little bit of what he wrote. He said, Hugh Hefner, gone to his reward at the age of 91, was a pornographer and chauvinist who got rich on masturbation, consumerism, and the exploitation of women. He aged into a leering grotesque in a captain's hat and died a pack rat in a decaying mansion where porn blared during his pathetic orgies. Hef was the grinning pimp of the sexual revolution with quaaludes for the ladies and Viagra for himself, a father of smut addiction and eating disorders, abortions, divorce, and syphilis. Now that death has taken him, we should examine our own sins. Liberals should ask why their crusade for freedom and equality found itself with such a captain and what his legacy says about their cause. Conservatives should ask how their crusade for faith and family and community ended up so Hefnerian itself with a conservative news network, and here he's talking about Fox, that seems to have been run on Playboy Mansion principles and a conservative party that just elected a Playboy as our president. You can find these questions being asked, but they are counterpoints and minor themes. That this should be the case that only prudish Christians from the traditional stage and spoil sport feminists from the postmodern stage are willing to say that the man was obviously wicked and destructive and itself a reminder that the rot of Hugh Hefner, that Hugh Hefner spread goes very, very deep. So, you know, as from an integral perspective, we want to find out what's the piece of the truth there. And, you know, we see this sort of sour spot in history uh, that we often talk about in terms of violence and weaponry, where you get modern technology wedded to pre-modern mentality. And that's a little bit about what Playboy kicked off in the sense that it mass marketed sex in a way that was, again, shocking to my little sensibility as a kid and everybody in the family. But yet... You know, every all my uncles had Playboy calendars hanging in their garage, and it was just the. It's it's a little bit like what junk food can do, which modernity also brings us. All of a sudden, we have more calories than we can eat. Now we have more sex than we can imagine. We can see naked women everywhere, um, and um, it um, has led, as Douthat says, to a. Um, a sensibility that is arising among a lot of people, especially young people. I see this on Reddit where I, I, I look at these various communities um, and, you know, men who are faced with impotence at uh, in their, their 20s because they're so saturated with porn that they can't um, relate to a real woman. And and that's really the the move that Postmodernity once tries to bring back. So, you know, we move from modernity from this mass consumption or, and, and mass production of, of sex to um, this sensibility of postmodernity, where, of course, postmodernity wants to find the victims that have been left out of all of the previous stages. And, of course, women are, are, 
exhibit A. And I always loved this, the explanation of, feminine, uh, of feminism as being the radical notion that women are people too. The radical notion that women are people too. And that is a move beyond Playboy in a, in a sense, because it moves from an I-it relationship, we've talked about regularly, into an I-thou relationship, where I see you not just as an object, not just as something that I can use to satisfy my needs, but I see you as a person who has left-hand quadrants, as a person who has an interiority, and who has a worth that is equal to my own. And at this stage, we become very, very suspicious of domination and submission in general. Uh, it's, it's out. Uh, it's, it's also put in the shadow. Uh, so it thrives in the shadow. But officially, it's out because domination is the curse of humanity. We look at all of, human, of, all of history and see that it's one you know, oppression after the next. And so we seek in postmodernity to fix that. And so we develop rules of conduct and professionalism. Of course, we have the Civil Rights Act and so forth. But in the interiors, in, particularly in businesses and organizations, we seek to, to uh, create a climate where women can be safe and fully valued. And uh, for the most part, it's worked. Uh, the Justice Department released statistics that show that the rate of sexual violence against women and girls, this was in Huffington Post, sexual violence against women and girls aged 12 or older fell 64% in a decade and has remained stable for five years. And that is really astonishing. And again, consciousness raising, you know, we talked about it in the 60s. And that is exactly what it is. Uh, we consciousness gets bigger and sees, oh, wait, women are people too. Wow. So, but, you know, every stage continues to include the strata of the previous stage. So we still have that animal nature, you know, back in domination and submission and aggression and choice. And, um, and we still have the, retro, even in our modern and postmodern society, we still have retrograde pockets of the patriarchy that persist and the traditional domination submission thing. And modernity can be interesting. It could be willfully blind about these things. It, uh, modernity can do don't ask, don't tell really well. And so this is a perfect storm. And it turns out that one of the great bastions of the postmodern worldview, Hollywood, was itself the hiding a uh, a patriarchy that was as uh, uh, abject and overt as you know the 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 sultans with their harems, and we see these uh, testimonials from these women who you know God bless them for coming out and moving the ball, and I was particularly struck by the one. Um, recording of him harassing this woman where he's like, come in, you know, only five minutes. I won't touch your breast again, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and finally he goes to, now you're embarrassing me, he says to her. And then he says, why would you risk our friendship for five minutes? And you realize just how powerful that is. 
you know, and how smarmy. And we could feel our sort of civilized nature, just, uh, you know, our stomachs turn at that kind of, um, you know, manipulation. So, but it, there it was in full view and till last week. <laughs> and in true Hollywood fashion, they turned the worm in a, in a big time. And so, you know, now Harvey is, um, you know, persona non grata and a villain and everybody knows him and everybody's piling on. And fair enough. This is the way of evolution. And this is, uh, you know, something, you know, he clearly deserves, even though, you know, I, we're not allowed to feel sorry for him, but I still do a little bit because, boy, he didn't know it was going to hit him. And now they're taking his name off of all of his movies and TV shows and so forth. And that is an overreaction. Oftentimes that happens, and it won't stand. I mean, history will show what he did as an artist. And I, I, I thought it was interesting to hear what Helen Mirren had to say. Uh, who She worked with him, and she said that it was he was always a mystery to her because she wondered how a man who had such a crude personal... Uh, personality uh, could have such an exquisite and sublime artistic sensibility. And, you know, here we see levels and lines, you know, his artistic uh, line was spiking into genius and we're the better for it. Uh, His personal line down in the gutter, his, uh, his moral line and his interpersonal line and so forth. So, um, so, you know, we can all, you know, at least people my age certainly can look and see how we have lived so much of this spiral in our own lifetime and how our own consciousness was raised in this lifetime. I mean, I started out in traditionalism, a lot of us did, and went through traditionalism, modernity, post-modernity, and now integral, you know, in a good day. And, you know, I can remember, uh, you know, I think about, you know, how women sort of just cooperated with these earlier systems where we look back now and see that they were obviously being victimized and oppressed. And I think of myself as a young gay teenager in uh, Western Pennsylvania, and I didn't feel oppressed because I had to be in the closet. Uh, Maybe I should have, but I wasn't there yet. It was just the way the world was. I adapted. I was a teenager. I, I was afraid that I might be found out, but I lived with it and, and didn't question it. And when things got better, as I moved into modernity and moved into you know, a, 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 a more modern city and, and grew up, uh, I was cool with don't ask, don't tell. You know, I lived my life openly and I got that people didn't wanna talk about it or hear about it. And so that was okay until it wasn't. And then as I realized, wait a fucking minute, my love is as good as anybody else's. And if I see one more Meg Ryan, Tom, whatever his name is, movie, Hanks, and about heterosexuals and their love, I'm going to fucking scream. And I got angry and, you know, uh, victimized. And that's progress. You know, now I can see that instead of be that, be any one of those. And they all sort of live in me uh, and I, you know, sort of can metabolize them. And that's true of 
uh, women too. I, women my age who I talked to, a, a friend of mine who was talking about when she was a girl, she's my age, uh, and she grew up in Iowa, that the neighbor guy who was a friend of her parents would grab her in the kitchen when they weren't looking. And a couple of times the mother shoot him away, but they didn't ostracize him. They didn't really go out of their way to protect her from him. And she didn't think much of it, except that this is how men are. And so she batted him away and avoided him. And, and then, you know, she now looks back on that and thinks how outrageous and offensive it was. And that's progress. That's evolution. And, you know, it's attended by a lot of confusion. Um, I think of myself, uh, I still wonder exactly what to do. I, I had an incident a while back with a professional colleague who I was in a meeting and, you know, she had gotten a haircut. She looked great. And I was like telling her, oh, you look beautiful. How good you look, whatever. And she didn't really seem to appreciate the compliment. And finally just said, why don't we just uh, turn to the work here today? Oh, okay. So I got that she didn't want to be complimented uh, for her looks. And um, I don't know if that was a bad day. Uh, later, it seemed like things warmed up. But it was a good communication to me. And, you know, there's a part of me that feels bad about that, but I also see the part of that that is objectifying and that it's focusing on looks as opposed to the, why we're actually there, which is to do some work professionally. So I get that. And that's, you know, some consciousness raising for me. So, you know, where is all of this going? Uh, I think it, it's, it's actually going in two directions. Uh, on one hand, to a new propriety, propriety, and on the other hand, it's moving to a new uh, uh, libertinism. And on the propriety side, let me just read something that uh, from uh, the latest column by Ross Douthat, which is you know the two weeks ago is on Hefner. This one is called "The Pigs of Liberalism," and it's about Harvey Weinstein. So. Russ is really, uh, you know, fired up about this. And he's coming from, again, from the conservative. And he talks about that what we need is a new propriety. And, and here he writes something that I think is worth noting. He says, some modest limits on how men and women interact professionally are useful checks on predation. Many liberals were horrified by the revelation that for a time, Mike Pence avoided one-on-one -on -one meetings with women, not his wife. But one can find the Pence rules too sweeping and still realize that life is easier for women if their male bosses don't feel entitled to see them anywhere, anytime. It would not usher in a theocracy if it were understood that inviting your female subordinate into your hotel room, Weinstein style, crosses a line in a way that a restaurant lunch does not. I like that. You know, that broadens the field where... People who want that can feel courageous and entitled and, and you know, and, 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 and grab it. Uh, I think that, you know, it's often pointed out how green has overreached or postmodernity has overreached with, uh, you know, consent rules and so forth on campuses where 
uh, sex takes on the flavor of a business contract. And we can all roll our eyes at that. But I'm not so sure that that's altogether a bad thing in the sense that post-modernity is doing its thing. It's, it's, it's staking out this territory that we all get to benefit from, even if we don't necessarily want to live there ourselves. And I'm not so sure that it's such a bad thing for a young man to have all the sensitivity he needs and for a young woman to have all the courage she needs to communicate you know, to get this male aggression, female uh, submission, uh, consent thing, uh, where it's actually distributed, where it's sometimes female aggression and men submitting. And, you know, I think that's what's happening is that we just communicate more. And I see that on these uh, sex uh, communities on Reddit. They're, they're, they're where, you know, people talk about their problems and, you know, what's up and what they wish their girlfriend or boyfriend would do and all of this stuff. And there's a great re-embracing of our animal natures, you know, where people who like to submit are, you know, kind of clear about it. And, and it's not this homogenized sort of modern, postmodern thing where everything is equal, but that, you know, the juice of that animal body can be brought online. And, and I think that as long as we have the ability to control, um, to assert, to choose, uh, that I think, you know, in the sacred world to come, we're going to be riding each other around like ponies if we want to. You know, we're going to be chimps and bonobos. And, um, as long as we know what we're doing, uh, that just includes all of it. So that's, uh, those are my thoughts for today.